Hello and welcome to the DeepTNBA Podcast. My name's Sean and joining me as always is the one and only Dante Boffer, Mr. Boffer, my man. How are we? How did Spotify rap say, Sean? <laughs> oh, you had this prepared. You had it, you had it ready. You, you've gotten really good at coming into my house and not saying your, like, your most pressing conversation until we hit the little record button. How do you know that I'm not just a, a, a spur of the moment, flying by the seat quick. of my pants type operator? It was too quick. All right. Well, I'll I'll gloat for a little bit on the Spotify rap. I'm going to... I'll give you the floor first because I'm going to fucking gloat. <laughs> I mean, what are we gloating about? But I had just under 92,000 minutes. Yeah. Man, that's child's play. How many, how, many, how many podcast minutes you get? I had 24,000. I actually listened to so few podcasts on Spotify that mm. it didn't even give me a podcast section. What do you YouTube? I use Apple Podcasts. Why? I don't know. I've been using it since I was a child. Yeah, yeah. Me too. And I stopped this year. You know, actually what a, because you know, actually what a good thing, what a good reason why I like to have the two apps is. Yeah. Because if I'm listening to something on Spotify, I am halfway through an album or a playlist or mm. whatever. If I'm changing over between a podcast and the songs on Spotify, then I lose it. Whereas if I if I have a different app for the podcast, I never lose where I'm up to on Spotify. Yeah, right. I get that. I get that. All right, my may as well may as well go through it. My top listen. Uh, have I got it here? Yeah, I was in the top zero point zero five percent of oh, Glenn huge. Underground listens. Listeners, there aren't many of them. <laughs> <laughs> I happen to be up the top. Um, and then a couple of other dudes. Uh, two of my top five most listened songs were on the Normal People soundtrack. You are actually... Uh, that's very <laughs> in character. Hey, by the way, have you seen that the Daisy Edgar Jones is in War of the Worlds and it's being advertised on SBS when you're watching the, the footy? No, because I've only been watching the highlights, but I'm in this group. Um, I'm in this Facebook Daisy group. Daisy Edgar Jones. No, 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 no. I mean, it's like normal people, BBC.UK updates. <laughs> every, every time they're in a red carpet or something. <laughs> well, she's in, uh, <clears throat> she's in War of the Worlds. World um, Didn't they already do War of the Worlds? Yeah, they did, but she's she's they did it again. She's in it. Uh, and my brother pointed it out to me she and I said, don't is. tell Sean. <laughs> <laughs> don't tell sure what was your most played song um surprise chef um, surprise chef yeah, yeah, yeah bloody yeah. beautiful yeah because i i told you listen um all good all news is good news yeah love um that. yeah listen to most m- my most plays of that song were on 9-11 well <laughs> i mean salute to service am i right <laughs> all right well what do you got all right so my most played song was undertow by Warpaint, mm. which is a song that i actually first heard a remix of on my favorite radio show, uh, which is Moxie's Two Hour Every Wednesday on NTS. Mm-hmm. Check it out if you haven't. And then I went and found the actual song. It's like an indie rock song from 2010, and it's just absolutely spectacular. My bloody top five coming in at number one, The Slingers. Mm. Well deserved. Richly, richly deserved. <laughs> top 0.1%. So I'm in there. But not as much as I am with Glenn, but that's oh, all right. Oh, we- can, I, can I also mention Glenn Underground? He's so small that when I followed him on Instagram, he followed me back. Yeah. Well, I mean, Glenn Underground is just a class act like that. He's been known in the industry for doing stuff like that for a long time. Um, notables from my top five artists. What? Ramar has been on a steady top five streak for like the last five years. He's an absolute king. His new album is fantastic. At number two, we've got Alt-J. And then... A throwback based <laughs> solely on their their album from like March this year, The Dream, mm. which was so beautiful. 
literally listening to it makes me cry. But first, Dante's number three. Take it away. <laughs> <laughs> Why the fuck are Pearl Jam there? Pearl Jam is in there because Pearl Jam's fucking awesome. And I, I love Pearl Jam. And coming in at number five... Taking a tumble all the way down from number one last year. <laughs> number one with a bullet. Mm. It's Hosier. Mm. Yeah, no, good good charm. Anyway. Um, not, not even a bullet, a lead fart, if you will. My, uh, yeah. Ho- Hosier did feature on two of my... Um, That's wild, I didn't my know fu- that. Yeah, I just, Hosier's just fucking awesome. Mm. He's, just a, mm. he's just a sick cunt. Yeah, right. Anyway, well, it's good to chat to you about, <laughs> yeah, you about too, the tunes. Yeah, I'll talk to you next week. Uh, so, a little bit of housekeeping. <laughs> During the week, yesterday morning, or this morning, up on thedeep2.com, which is where you can find long-form, short-form, insightful analysis of everything happening in, in the NBA world, as well as every single episode of the Deep 2 NBA podcast. That's thedeep2.com. You bloody published an article about everybody's favorite three and D wing who's finally putting it all together in the Pacific Northwest, Aaron Gordon. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, Aaron Gordon is, you know, he's the fifth option, sometimes fourth option on the Denver Nuggets. And it's always been like, awesome, this is a beautiful spot for him to be in. Like, you know, he's finally actually going to realize himself in Denver, but he's actually like might be like pushing for the third option and you know at the very least is might be the best fourth option in the whole entire playoffs when they roll around um i don't want to give away too much but check it out uh, and i talk I, I talk about the ramifications for and not really ramifications that's got that's got negative connotations so more the the benefits of having your fourth option just absolutely shoot the fucking shit out of the ball like he mm. is yeah i mean I, I sent this to dante a week ago to edit um <clears throat> And his numbers, his numbers in that in that article were just like off off the paper. Like, oh my god, this is this is very very good. What number does it start with? It rhymes with Bevan. <laughs> um, but uh, the, the numbers have actually gotten bigger. In a, a week later, obviously, time to publish the article, time to update the stats, and it's just skyrocketed, which is uh, a little hot streak. Not even a little hot streak. He's just consistently like, you know, 9 of 15 from the floor. And it's like, that's that's repeatable. The thing that I think is so interesting about, you you know, you mentioned like him being like the best fourth option in the playoffs. He's going to be the fourth option in the playoffs. Yeah. And a team like Portland has someone who is a very comparable player in terms of age and profile, Jeremy Grant, is probably going to be their second option. Yeah. <laughs> or their like 2.5 option. And I don't know about you, but I would so much rather have Aaron Gordon than Jeremy Grant just mm. in a vacuum but mm. for Aaron Gordon to be your fourth option versus like another playoff hopeful having Jeremy Grant as like a, a secondary shot creator is just like an embarrassment of riches for Denver and also funny you mentioned that because Jeremy Grant left Denver in free agency because he wanted to get a bigger opportunity elsewhere but well yeah, the person who was traded for to replace him is actually like you just said you'd rather have him uh, and he's shining brighter than he is in Portland but you know all credit to Jeremy Grant, like he's having a very good season and no, a is. much better season than you and I thought he would in yeah. Portland at the moment. Um, yeah. But yeah, final piece of housekeeping um, while I put the light on. Do you want to talk about the Socceroos for a minute? The bloody Socceroos have only gone and done it. And I'll tell you what, channeling John Aloisi, oh. who was a much maligned figure <coughs> in Socceroos history before scoring up till now the most iconic goal in Socceroos history... 
Matthew Leckie, who hasn't done a single good thing at this World Cup <laughs> in approximately 250 minutes on the pitch, <laughs> before scoring that absolutely majestic solo strike where he's taken the ball from just inside halfway, taken it, carried it 40 yards, dribbled past three players, and then slotted with his left foot through the defender's legs, nestling the ball in the far post. Wow. Simply... I'll tell you what, to borrow a phrase from our friends, the British, <laughs> limbs in the away end in my living room this morning when every single... <laughs> were, you, were you up for it? Yeah. Every single person in the living room, of which there was five, was up in arms, <laughs> out of the bloody chairs, going, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, abs- right. It's the stuff that dreams are made of. Um, all right. And then speaking of dreams... As I like to dream, I had a look at it and went, okay, Argentina lost 2-0 to Saudi Arabia. 2-1. 2-1. Saudi Great Arabia. Great game of footy. Um, maybe one of the weaker Argentinian teams we've seen. They got a lot of credit and a lot of hype going in. Because and I personally didn't buy it. I was looking at the list thinking this is like a bunch of blokes who are legends but past their prime. All blokes who were just like, Good starters for good, like, first division teams in Europe. But no one who's, like, absolutely bloody blowing you away. Like, three or four guys who are blowing you away, and then the rest of them are just, like, good level guys. Mm. Versus, you know, a team like Brazil or France, Spain looking really good. Yeah, you've got, like, the best guys from the best clubs. So, I didn't actually want any analysis there, because what I'm going to say is stupid. Oh, Let's say well now I'm going to have egg on my face then for taking it seriously. Well, we're we're both going to have egg on our face because we're saying we have a chance against Argentina. But let's say we beat Argentina one yeah. nil in a nail biter. Yeah. Um. As as would be the only way we win a game one nil. And then uh, let's just assume USA wins a uh, wins their game because it seems to be their cup where it's like oh they're here. And Does it seem to be their cup? Not or at are all. You just not at following all. Americans on Twitter. I'm just following Americans yeah. on Instagram. Um, we can beat America. They're actually not that good. We know that. Yeah. And all of a sudden, we're in the semifinals. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. Then- we'll pump the brakes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll pump the bags on that one. It's the hope that kills you, but it's actually the stupidity that gets you first, if not the hope. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, before we jump into today's uh, episode, uh, final piece of housekeeping, a big congratulations to the Victorian Labor Party for winning, actually a, doing it. winning a third consecutive term in office. And the question that I want to pose to you is why did you write that in the run sheet? <laughs> How could Dan Andrews let this happen? <laughs> <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, the Deep 2 NBA podcast does not endorse the Labour Party. <laughs> all right. Now we've made it political. Let's talk about everyone's favourite apolitical Slovene, Luka Doncic. If Luka Doncic was political, where, where would he fall? Luka Doncic is 100% progressive. Yeah, he's got the world, he's, map, the world map on his shoulder. He's blade. from the Balkans, so he probably has some pretty... C- pretty like concerning views about like some things but i think in general he's a progressive guy 
Yeah, right. He's probably used some slurs, is what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, like, you can read between the lines here. I'm throwing Nikola Jokic in there as well. Like, they have the same energy. You're saying at that dinner in the bubble, <laughs> when all the guys from the Balkans yeah. brought up over a couple Thank- of, let's say, Stellas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Thank God there were no there microphones, were no there, microphones there as well. Yeah, yeah. Just beer. Yeah, yeah. right. That, that makes sense. Um, all right, so Luka Doncic, we want to talk about this last week, but we said, no, hold off. We'll give ourselves a week to, let's say, research it. Um, can Luka Doncic keep this up? Um, before today's games, which he didn't play in, so I shouldn't have said that, he's averaging 33.5 points, 8.8 rebounds, 8.6 assists while shooting 51, 32, 72 from the floor. Um, just like a bad free throw shooter and has been his whole entire career. Um, he's he's got, got a, a bit of LeBron about him in yeah, that way. Like, yeah, yeah. Just, like, bro, you're literally incredible. <laughs> Bump that, <laughs> bump that free throw number up by 10, by 10 points. Yeah. Um, PR of 31.4 with a usage percentage of 42.3. Can I say this is his fifth year in the league? For the fifth consecutive year, he's leading the league in terms of usage percentage for his position. Um, I didn't I didn't sort of see where it was in the league, but he has been up there ever since his rookie year when he averaged what, about 16 points. Um, he averaged way more in his rookie year. Did he? Yeah, twenty plus, I reckon. Wow. I actually let's let's take two fact check. There's Jamie. Let's get the bloody hold on. I've got it here. We're looking at twenty one. Twenty one. Wow. Twenty one points as a rookie. Freak am I? Anyway, Luka Doncic is doing amazing things, and I think like we can. If you don't think he's the MVP through the quarter of the season or for the full way, like he's he's he deserves an MVP award, right? Yeah. Like, let's say... Okay, I mean, I don't actually think he would be the MVP or should be the MVP. Okay, but he's he's a top three candidate. Yeah, for sure. Every single person. He's, no a, he's, he's absolutely got one of the first team All-NBA forward spots fucking locked up. Yeah. Um, if he gets a season-ending injury today, he probably still gets the second team. <laughs> um, can he keep this up? Uh, what, do you, what do you think, Dante? I think the answer is... Yes, he can keep it up uh, from a numbers point of view and from a working through the season point of view because I think they know how to manage him on like a game-by-game basis. But what you've already seen through the first quarter of the season is that his, on inside the game, his workload takes a toll on him where he's been markedly more efficient uh, in the first three quarters, particularly the first quarter when he's fresh compared to the fourth quarter. And he actually hasn't been able to maintain those kind of levels that he's due. The the standard that he sets through the first three quarters into the fourth quarter, aside from that epic fourth quarter he had against the Clippers (laughs) a few weeks ago where he just fucking seems to love going up against the Clippers. Which is actually a cool little narrative. It's an awesome little narrative. And and you know what? I'm so confident that the Clippers will never get past him. Like, the Clippers just won't be able to do it. From here on out, like, he's he's got them. Um, But... I, I I think whilst he whilst he can keep it up, we definitely have seen that drop off, and I think that it's really clear that the Mavericks need a plan this season for who's going to help kind of step in and redistribute a little bit of that second half workload and then beyond mm-hmm. as well. Um, you know, that's something that I'm sure we'll um, We'll touch on it in a few minutes, but the start to the season that he's having is, again, like genuinely historic. Um, and he's just 
so metronomically consistent with the way that he plays and the things that he's able to do. But one thing that's jumped out to me thus far is that the usage is all on him. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Brunson is gone. So we've gone from this lauded three ball hand the lineup that they mm-hmm. were so successful with last year to now they're only being two and he's by far the primary. Yet he's still bumped up his efficiency, his shooting efficiency from last year by five percentage points. Mm. And he's averaging the lowest uh, turnovers per game of his career since his mm. rookie season. Which is like for someone to be for someone to be increasing their usage by such a drastic proportion, yeah. shooting more efficiently and still reducing their turnovers. Like that is just like a guy who's really at the the peak of his powers and, and you and I love to talk about the, the guys who go from like good to great or like great to amazing instead of just talking about like you know Anthony Simons gets an opportunity all of a sudden averages 20 points a game like this is such a he was already an MVP candidate for the past two years and you've got a guy who's like doing things no one has ever done before and he's actually just getting a little bit more efficient and a little bit yeah. better but like I, I think it is sustainable, and, and the fourth quarter stuff is obviously worrying. Um, and he is like visibly exhausted. I, th- mm. I mean, every single NBA player usually is by the fourth quarter, but he is definitely visibly visibly exhausted. He has those amazing first quarters. He does everything right. But I went into this week of watching games with the mindset of, okay, I think what's it called in a scientific study where you go in with a like what you think is going to happen. A hypothesis. My hypothesis was. I'm going to... Uh, Thursday's going to roll around. Dante and I are going to be sucking on a beer and I'm going to be like, it's too much to put on one person. James Harden couldn't do it. But I was actually surprised when I watched the first game. I went, oh, maybe not. And then I watched the second game, which was when they beat the Golden State Warriors. And I was like, no. When they beat the Golden State Warriors and he had a 40-point triple-double. I mean, it's a good game to watch, right? <laughs> it's a good game yeah. to watch him do well. But it is actually like the, the way the Dallas Mavericks play is obviously based all around him. But there's a lot mm. of time where he doesn't have the ball in his hands. And yes, he like, he's like he got these gargantuan usage percentage numbers. But it's a lot of him like the, the Mavs know and, and Jason Kidd knows that he can beat his matchup no matter who it is. And so he'll just create an opening. And whether that's just a simple pass behind his back to DFS for a wide open three or a lob or whatever it is. But it is like there is quite a bit of movement, and then all of a sudden, as soon as he like breaks down that first defender, it's like okay, Spencer Dinwiddie, here's this defender who's trailing to come and get you. Josh Green, who's having a great season shooting it from three, no, you know, taking like two point something a game, but he's still shooting it really well. All these shooters, Tim Hardaway Jr.'s just come back. It's like everyone's actually doing everything perfectly, and Luca isn't dribbling it for twenty seconds like James Harden did before a step back. Luca does sprinkle in the step backs, and he does do that stuff where he goes, oh, I need to bail them out. And I'm fucking incredible at basketball. Mm. Um, he's actually never missed a shot uh, when it's coming down to the the end of the the shot clock because he actually always gets fouled. <laughs> not always called, but um, he always he always gets fouled, and he likes to let, let the refs know and then not run back on defense. But <laughs> poor guy. Like I mean, imagine getting fouled 100 percent of the time and not getting 100 percent of the whistles. But you'd be frustrated too. Yeah. <laughs> but it is actually like it it is it is different to what we've seen um, to the bearded man who wears red. Like Luca is moving off the ball and he's relocating and he goes okay I've passed it out here DFS is going to get covered he's going to swing it to that next guard over there and then Luca's relocating and just filling his spot and it's like this is this is good I don't think you can win a title and we'll talk about what they can do in the off season and what trades might be out there where they can get you know another Jalen Brunson or hopefully someone better than Jalen Brunson but it is it isn't as bad as I thought it was going to be and I've actually come away with it like oh actually you know what 
this is sustainable. What, what do you think about that? Well, I think the difference, like, you know, you mentioned the bearded one from Houston. Uh, I think Luca has more Steph in him than he does Harden or yeah, Trey yeah. Yeah. in that he is prepared to get off the ball. He's prepared to move the ball. And there's that Steph-like confidence that means getting off the ball early in the shot clock doesn't mean that you're out of the play. It means yeah. if you keep moving, the ball's going to come back to you. And that's part of the reason why he's able to maintain such a high usage rate is because he's giving up the ball and it's getting, coming back to him mm. because he's moving, he's spotting up, and then he's in an advantageous position to attack again. So he's still finishing those possessions at an, you know, an, an all-time league-leading rate, but not in the same way that a Harden or a Trey have previously done it, where you do hold the ball for 20 seconds and then you, pass to, you score or you pass to the guy who shoots it. Yeah. There's a healthier offensive ecosystem. Um, and, you know, Jason Kidd has kind of instituted that. And yes, it's all driven on the court by Luca, but like the, the buy-in to get your best guy to play like that mm. is a really good coaching job. Mm. I absolutely hate to say those <laughs> words about Jason Kidd. Um, but he has done a great job. But he has done a really good job. And also another thing to Jason Kidd's credit, like they they gave three years at the full mid level exception to Javale McGee, and we all thought it was a bad idea. I actually thought it was a little bit of a better idea, but it's turned it was out to a, be a it was, shocking it was, idea. It was a taxpayer, as full taxpayer, but three years, um, <clears throat> yeah. and he hasn't been good at basketball. And yeah. Jason Kidd's playing him three minutes a game. It's yeah. like he has said, "I don't give a shit what the front office has, has invested here." Yeah, he's not a basketball every player. Every team that every coach that has had DeAndre Jordan since 2017 <laughs> needs to needs to take yeah. notes and say, yeah. "Oh, maybe I should have not played the awful old center." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, although you know, respects to Javale, he he has a dear place in my heart as a backup five for I mean, the last it's, few years. It's not his fault he got given three years at the TP. No, um, it's, it's to his credit. I mean, his agent should be having a fucking beer in Cancun right now. Um, but keep going. Kid has done a really good job with the buy-in from Luca, but also, like, you look at the roster. It's a bad roster. They're relying on guys who are not good offensive players. And their offensive... The, the, the guys that are good offensive players, uh, you know... Are limited. Like Spencer Dinwiddie is having like an amazing shooting season, and I don't know how sustainable that is because he's. I think he's, it has to be now. He's had like two one, years of shooting it well. His but his one bugaboo his whole career has been like he's actually a way worse shooter than you think he is. But he's not. Ever but, since no, he, but he ever is, since he put on a Dallas yeah, uniform. Yeah, I mean, like, we've got such yeah, a big sample yeah. size now. Well, we've got we've got less than a full season, but twenty point, games plus forty. Yeah, I mean that, that's point, a, that's a full Zion season. Point ta- yeah, that's two full Zion seasons. <laughs> point taken. Uh, someone like Tim Hardaway, who's missed forever, it yeah. feels like with with a foot injury and is now just coming back. He's not like <coughs> fully clicked into gear yet, but you imagine that he will kind of return to being the handy yeah, player. Yeah, that he what's is. what's a clicked in Tim Hardaway? Like? I actually have been I've been higher on Tim Hardaway than you this you know the the, this whole the last few years we've been doing it because he just like he's that. He's that like bigger two guard who makes his threes. Yeah. You you kick okay, yeah, yeah. he mean, moves off the ball, you kick it out to him and he hits his threes when he's supposed to. Like he's like Danny Green if Danny Green hit threes when he's supposed and to. And couldn't defend. Yeah, I mean Danny Green is a way better defender, but offensively. Yeah. Um but like like you know, DFS is having a really bad shooting year. Josh Green is like not actually a, a that that well rounded of a player. Chris Wood, who we'll touch on in, in a little bit, has been good for them, but like he's by no means 
a sustainable second option on a playoff team. Yeah. And somehow, through this combination of Luca tying everything together, but also scheming from Kidd and like the actual fundamental principles of his offense being executed, which is mm. not something that every coach can say is happening. Yeah. I mean, like, let's have a look at what's going on in Los Angeles <laughs> with with both teams for an example of where the coach's principles are not being executed because yeah. what the fuck's going on there? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a great credit to Kidd and Luca on that front to be able to have a, a great offense without guys who you would typically associate with being a great offense or mm. like you know there's three guys on the court at any one time who are fifth options and no guys who are you know mm. second or third or fourth options mm. yeah it's uh, like we say all this and we uh, and I agree with everything you've said um, and it does look really good and I have been surprised at how good it looks but they're the 11th seed right now you well know, like, they're playing 500 ball which is yeah. the reason which is you know you mentioned like the Luca MVP case, like, like you, you, you're not the MVP if your team is playing 500 ball. Like, yeah. that to, I will to me asterisk that they are four and a half games behind the one seed, and two and a half behind the three seed. But, but, but five, you know, like the, the the games at this point are, you know, can be reasonably misleading. We've we've had tw- we've had 20 games now. You know, if you're if you're a 500 team, you're realistically in the West, you know, right now we're looking at the standings, you're saying they're, they're 11th, you're, you're, you're out of the plane if you're yeah. playing 500. So yeah. to be in the plane, realistically, you've got to be a minimum like 44, 45. Mm. And this this offense is really good, but the, the, the team is just limited. Mm. Um, and we talked about in, in the off season that this is kind of a logical year for them to just accept that this is going to be a step back and that they might be worse and mm. to not get sucked into that like narrative of like you're wasting this amazing season from Luca like yeah. Luca's going to be a Mav for 15 years you're going to get plenty more amazing seasons going to average 30 points again don't you just, you're just you're in a situation where you kind of fucked up on the KP trade you yeah. got no assets you decided to let Bronson walk but you still have no cut space you just need like that reset season and I think having a steady approach to that from GM Nico Harrison and kid and not panicking and saying like, whoa, we need to trade X, Y, Z for whatever the hell we can get at the deadline. So we can maybe move up from the eighth seed to the sixth seed is going to be a virtue in the long run. Um, But that, I, I mean, you know, that itself speaks to Luca's excellence thus far that the franchise has correctly made this decision to say, we're not gonna you know, bust our ass to give you the absolute best supporting cast that you possibly can. Right now. Right now. And yet this team is still good. Yeah. And they're a tough beat and the offense is playing really well and Luke is putting up thirty three, eight and eight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, well, well let's 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 move on from that and say how how can this team get better? Because like you you said this in the off season as well. You said, Okay, look they're they're going to take sort of a, a gap year where it's like, Luca, get your MVP. You're going to be the one, two, three, and then Christian was going to be the four. Um, so Luca, do this, and then we'll, we'll regroup and see what happens there. But like, what what are they getting? Like, it's not like they're going to get a high pick. It's they're, no. they're just going to have another pick to trade in the future when the offseason. I hits. also think that this year's draft pick is owed to the Wizards in the pausing this trade. Okay. Um, 
And then if I had done this before I started talking, I'd look at their contract situation. But we know that cap space isn't the most valuable thing for teams not based in Los Angeles. Um, their two expirings are Christian Wood and Dwight Powell. Obviously, if Christian Wood is good at basketball, you'd want to retain him. Um, so you're just going to have to re-sign him at a bigger number than that. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie is, I think it's like only like $1 million guaranteed next year. Mm. It doesn't say it here, but it's something very small. And what's... Is he on like 17? 21. 21. 21 the following year. That, I mean, that's that's okay. There's And then you're paying Bertans and Tim Hardaway 17 each for the next two seasons after yeah. this. So there's there's money to be lost and then, you know, to throw away in free agency. Uh, look, free agency is a very hard game to play, so I don't know how they're going to get better there. But um, like this this team, Luka Doncic might make the second round this year and he might win the MVP and it's like, all right, wonderful. Now, how do you get better? And uh, I liken it again to James Harden where James Harden, he's Daryl Morey went out and got Chris Paul and all of a sudden they went from a really good team to me being Golden State fan. Holy shit, they could actually beat us. And unluckily for them, they lost to us twice in the Western Conference Finals and they were very, very, very close series. And obviously Chris Paul and, and James Harden were up 3-2 in one of those series where they you know, they arguably could have won and should have won. Um, so how does Luka Doncic get his Chris Paul? And I I just, I don't really know how he get, how you bring in a second star like that. And, and you mentioned the bird rights trap with Jalen Brunson and it's a little bit unfair to them because Jalen Brunson obviously had the ties to New York and, and wanted to go there and he was an unrestricted free agent. So there's not much you really could have done, even if even if it's a bad financial play, he wanted to leave. But I, I think, going back to what I said at the start, I think it's sustainable and I think they can be a very good, you know, top six, top four seed for the next 10 years while Luke is here. But I, I want to see them, you know, push all their chips in to get another superstar to to be the Chris Paul next to Luka Doncic. But I don't know how they do that right now. Yeah, but the problem with the problem with the the pushing in of the chips is that they already did that yeah. with KP, and they're like a little bit sparse because of it, and that went wrong. So mm-hmm. you can say that was under a previous regime. They rectified the mistake. They got KP out, recruited some assets, and you know we'll we'll go from there but like the the risk is if you get that wrong again you have to push chips in on the right guy mm-hmm. and i think more prescient than like how they would do it from an asset point of view the the that's kind of putting the cart before the horse the first thing that you have to figure out is who or what type of player is going to be the second guy that complements luca because you could go the cp route and get another point guard and we've seen them have success with a stack of really good point guards last season Mm. you could go the Clippers route and you could try and pair two really great big wings together Mm. or you could go a more traditional route and try and bring in a big man Mm. and I would be leaning towards the big man because a good big man is kind of playoff proof Whereas small guards who are defensive sieves, which, you know, Brunson is a, is a great feisty defender and he's like really good defending the post. He's really strong, but uh, a predatory apex wing is going to make light work of him come the postseason. Mm. And this team, the whole time that Luke has been there, has just had a, an objectively bad big rotation because the guys that we're talking about now is Christian Wood... Maxi Kleber, Dwight Powell, JaVale McGee, like... All good players, but, yeah. But, I mean, like, I don't actually think that, like... Like, I think Wood is, like, a starting-level player. He's not starting for the Mavs right now. They're bringing him off the bench in a sixth-man capacity. 
None of the other guys are starters. Like Maxi Kleber has been their starting four. Sometimes they're starting five for the last three years. I don't think Maxi Kleber is a starting level player. I have been talking about this whole run that we've done, this three and a half years we've been doing the pod. What would Luca look like with a real like defensive linchpin role man on offense? Like what would Luca look like if you just kind of like made like the 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 role principles from like a Utah or a, an Atlanta over the last few years mm. with a rim detonating big man on offense. What would that look like if you had Luca, a like a, a Gobert, yeah. a Capella, whoever you want to put in there, and then three shooters? What does that look like? And I think that offense is more sustainable. Not to mention that your able to do more on defense because Maxi Kleber is a good defender but he's also slight and he's also kind of undersized to be playing the five full time mm. and on offense he's a, he's a good shooter he's a great stretch five but he doesn't actually roll that well over and over again and he doesn't give you anything in between so yeah. I feel like exploring how to bring in a big man is kind of a better move for this team than looking to strengthen on the wing or looking to bring in another elite guard. If you assume that they have one guy that through free agency or trade in the next, let's say, two seasons, they can bring in one all-star level player, mm. I, big. I would be looking more at bringing in a four and a five than, than anybody else. Well, maybe Gobert's going to be available this off-season as well if um, if the Timberwolves want to cut bait. But That's a whole nother thing. <laughs> but just going back to your Maxi Kleber point, um, for the whole yeah three and a half years we've been doing this, I've been loving Maxi Kleber and you've been everything you just said. I think you know he tops out and he is topping out as a really, really good backup 4-5. Yeah, and I, fine, I agree. I agree with you. I agree um, with you all right, I'll just... I'll, and I'll also fact-check us before. Um, their pick this year is owed to the Knicks top 10 protected and then they own every single one of their future picks um, okay. outside of that. Uh, free agent centers coming up this off-season. Al Horford, Nick Vucevic, Miles Turner has been rumored to go there before. Brooke Lopez, Dwight Powell... Um, Jakob Pertl, we're getting very little. I, I, don't getting. Like, I don't like any of those. The best name on that list in terms of like what we're talking about, how can this team be sustainable? Potential all-stars, Miles Turner. Is Miles Turner. But Miles Turner, for better or worse, is not actually that type of five. Like Miles Turner yeah. wants the ball. Miles Turner wants to shoot threes, which, which works well in this five-out offense, but... That unfortunately comes at the expense of him actually being a really great role man because mm. he's not. Mm. Um, and well, we're seeing how much they use Dwight Powell as well, and Dwight Powell you know, has lost some of his explosiveness since his major knee injuries. Um, but yeah, we, it, I just wish Javale McGee was a little bit better so you, you could actually that, see what Javel's you're doing. Javale's that exact archetype. Like obviously, yeah. he's not as good as these guys, but that's the exact. Like you watch any Phoenix Suns game from the last two years, watch CP3 and Javale in the pick and roll. It's a thing of beauty. Javale yeah. is like a good for for Phoenix. He was a good backup center. And the same way that CP3 and Biombo in the pick and roll is fucking incredible. The, it's because the CP3 guys, is good, not the guys, but, the, but, but Biombo is... Biombo, he just jumps. He, yeah. he sets good screens and he jumps. And that's literally, with playing alongside CP3, playing alongside do. Luca, that's literally all you need to mm. do. Mm. So having that element to the offense where you can get consistent, great looks at the rim is, I, I think, something that they haven't had. And we've seen them... 
you know, we haven't seen them go like the double big wing look. Those are kind of the harder guys to get in the league. Like mm. Kawhi and PG being on the same team is like a impossible, you know, once in a lifetime kind of event. But we saw with with this offense last season when they're going three mm-hmm. guys with two of them on the court at any one time in Brunson, Dinwiddie, and Luca. That was a great offense in the postseason and in the regular season. But I I never felt like that was like an unsolvable offense. Yeah. I never felt like that offense was going to go all the way because the fact that you're two of those like linchpin guys are six foot and six foot three is easier to defend than mm. if there's a big. Yeah. And then you need two good defenders, a big and a, and a small guy. Yeah. Um, Okay, well, I'm happy to wrap up this discussion with one final question because this is all great and it's all great in theory and we're talking a lot about theory. But we've seen that the price for superstars has just absolutely skyrocketed in the past two, three, four off-seasons. And whether you're Brooklyn or LA and you can just sign them for nothing, great. This isn't a Brooklyn or LA team. Um, or Golden State, actually, for that matter. Mm. But it's very, very, very hard to get these teams. And if there is a superstar that becomes available, like let's say Bradley Beal or... Uh, Rudy Gobert's back on the market, something like that. If that person is out there um, and the Dallas Mavericks are like, awesome, we're going to put our hand up. We really want to get this player because we want to start to pair with Luka Doncic no matter what position they play. Um, They're going to be offering all of their future first-round picks, Josh Green, matching salary in Bertans and Tim Hardaway Jr. But we know that because of this really, really high superstar market... The Utah Jazz and the New Orleans Pelicans and all these teams out there just have every single pick under the sun. And even some teams that, you know, aren't very good right now, like the Detroit Pistons, who might actually want to throw their chips in and say, oh, maybe we can do something a little bit more and maybe throw in their picks that are even more valuable. When this player is on the market, all of a sudden that the, the, the team that's trading away this superstar is like, well, awesome. I'm sure our player would look amazing next to Luka Doncic, but you've got the fourth best offer for me right now. So I think that's really going to like, we're going to see that Nico Harrison might have the best intentions to get a superstar right next to his player. But as we just saw in this most recent offseason, all he could get was Christian Wood. Like he couldn't go out and get anyone better. And I mean, I'm assuming that, but like he would have done it. I, I'm also assuming that mm. if there was someone better who they could have traded away, you know, let's say they do that thing that, that Minnesota did where it's like, okay, here's our first round pick and pick swaps from 2024 till 2029. So, okay, you've got Luka Doncic for all of those years. That's probably going to be in the 20s. I don't really want that. I would much rather go to New Orleans and say, give us a couple of LA picks because they could be, you know, that could be the first overall pick. Do you, Are you worried about that when, you, when you're talking about seeing the Dallas Mavericks get better? Yeah, I am worried about that because, you know, those picks are likely going to be in the 15 to 25 range almost every year. Um, and, you know, a team like LA, you mentioned team like Minnesota, those picks are unstable from the perspective that you don't know how the fuck it's going to go with Gobert and Cat. Mm. Uh, you know, even the Pelicans' own picks are unstable because what happens if Zion gets injured again? Like, yeah. those, those, those are not guaranteed to be high picks. So those all have, like, you know, much more value than a, a, a kind of metronomic steady Dallas pick, which might mean that they're not going to be able to shop at the absolute top of the market. And two players that they've been linked with over the last, like, two to six months one of which i think would be an absolute travesty a disaster and one of whom i think is actually a pretty interesting candidate the first one is bradley beal because it's not going well in washington 
he's on that absolutely mammoth contract and you know like that it just it's felt like both parties needed a separation for the last three years yet somehow it hasn't happened and they're even more um entwined than ever but the second guy that i think and i wonder what you think is zach levine Mm. um yeah look let's not talk about how those Zach Levine rumors started because I was actually going to write something about it and they came from almost nothing. Mm. But that I, I would love that. I would love Zach Levine there. Um, I agree with you a bit in what you said before about just maybe getting a big because Luca can do so much from the guard positions and you know, Spencer Dinwiddie is one of my favorite players so I don't want to see him getting short-shifted mm. there. Um, but yeah, if you can get Levine, Zach Levine, go and do it. But if Zach Levine is truly on the market and he is actually out there, the Pelicans would easily put up their hand and say, oh, okay, we'll, yeah. we'll do it as well. We can give you matching salary that doesn't impact their starting but five. I, I think because of the injuries that he's kind of dealt with over the past two or three seasons where he hasn't been able to be consistently available every game, Zach Levine is not quite the top of the market when we're talking about mm. superstars that come available. Everything else, his yeah. age profile, his athleticism, his game, mm. awesome. Yeah. So there would definitely be interest, but like... I don't know that he would garner those, like... I don't know that he'd garner a, a Gobert-level yeah, deal, yeah. a, a Davis-level deal, where you're saying we'll give you five years of draft control plus a couple of prospects and matching salary. Yeah. Because you just... You, you do that for a guy that you feel comfortable is going to be there for the next five years. And Levine, like, the injury situation is not not so dramatic but probably dramatic enough that a team is going to have to really think about what that looks like which I feel like makes him a little bit more gettable doesn't solve their problem at all of you know having a a big who can actually do something offensively who's a reliable defensive presence I mean I I don't know who that guy is that's available and for instance like you wouldn't want to recoup what Minnesota paid to Utah to get Gobert if Gobert did become available if you moved for a a wing or a guard that potentially frees you up for a lower investment you know a guy like Capella we've been saying since Onyeka Okongwu got drafted (laughs) that Capella's days in Atlanta are limited Mm -hmm. and that hasn't proven to be the case because he's so fucking good at what he does with Trey Young on offense Mm -hmm. but a guy like Capella would be available for a hell of a lot less. Yeah. So if you make that move for a wing or a guard and try and be, bring in a role-playing big who can actually play that role, which they haven't had, like maybe that's the way forward. But I do think what you're worried about is 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 really a, is a realistic um, occurrence where they're going to kind of be capped out of that absolute top of the market because they don't have the top of the market money to spend they don't have the money but they don't have the yeah they don't, they don't have the capital like those the, yeah. whatever picks they can offer which is going to be far fewer in terms of quantity than anybody else mm-hmm. are also not as valuable so that's that's something that they they will have to figure out over mm-hmm. the coming seasons um all right, just before we go to a short break i'll just list all of the nicknames that luka Doncic has on basketball reference there's luka magic the matador el matador Cool Hand, The Don, Wonderboy, El Nino, Maravilla, Swaggy L, and Two, uh, Luca, Luca Legend, and Two Easy. What the fuck is Cool Hand? <laughs> cool, cool Hands is, uh, is Benjamin Stark from, uh, from Game of Thrones. Yeah, right. Didn't know um, what's your favorite out of that? Probably El Nino. El Nino. I'm going to give you a little help here. Yeah. <laughs> 
famously you have struggled with pronunciation on the show. Oh. But that little that little squiggle, squiggle on top of the N, it's a ny. Yeah, so how do El you say Nino. It? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not doing that. I mean, you're saying it wrong. <laughs> you're going around. All right, sorry. My El favorite, Nino. my favorite swaggy L. Swaggy L. <laughs> What's your favorite? I'm a Luca legend man, but I'm confused by El Nino. Maravilla and El Matador are in there because he's not fucking Spanish. He's literally. I googled, I googled Maravilla. Yeah, nothing's coming up. He's from the other side of Europe. Yeah, but he, he played for Real. So. Spain is Spain is the second westernmost country in Europe, and this guy's from Slovenia, famously <laughs> in Eastern Europe. Anyway, uh, let's let's uh, take Talk a break and a uh, and people can uh, can chew on those Luca nicknames. The depth, the the deep, the ugh, the deep two. God, that's a mouthful. Anyways, I'm Marco, co-host of the. Hey, Daniel Gafford, what's the name of our podcast? The JVG NBA Tribute Show. Well, I can't believe it's that easy. Thanks, Gaff. You probably know us as two members of the Four Man Weave plus Marco, but we know you as our next listener. Well said, Lucas. I gotta ask, how do we differ from the pack of basketball podcasts? It's a great question, Marco. You see, on our basketball podcast, we have two male co-hosts. Wow, truly groundbreaking. After this episode, stay on your favourite podcasting app and give us a spin. Alright, we are back and a little bit of news wrap up uh, before we wrap up. Um, first one coming from Brian Windhorst of ESPN that the Washington Wizards have interest in trading for Jay Crowder. Um, they join maybe four other teams that also have interest in Jay Crowder, the Bucks and the Suns among others. But this is probably the most realistic trade for Jay Crowder because the unlike the Bucks, um, not the Suns, he plays for the Suns, uh, the Hawks... Um, Unlike these other teams, the the Wizards actually have matching salary that they can actually throw back that doesn't impact the Suns whatsoever. They just get a warm body in return, um, being Rui Hachimura or Denny Avdia, because I think the the Suns did say they would prefer to get a Ford back in any deal, which makes sense given their roster situation. Um, So just assuming there's no picks changing hands, you're just simply getting a prospect slash player here. Would you want to do any machination of a Wizards deal if it gives you back one of these Fords who aren't really good? Uh, yeah, well, that's the that's the key thing. That was a leading here, question, that, wasn't it? <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, you're leading me to the obvious answer, which is that neither of them are actually really good, uh, Rui or, or Danny. Um I mean, neither of them have established themselves as like an efficient offensive threat. Like, Denny's barely established himself as a threat to score. <laughs> Uh, I mean, like he kind of is tantalizing in in the sense that like he can he can clearly kind of defend a few positions and he's a smart player, moves the ball like he he would fit well in a healthy offensive ecosystem. But like, all we gotta do is talk to uh, our <laughs> friend and and uh, co-host of the JVG NBA Tribute Show, Lucas Petridis, and ask him what he thinks of Denny. Um, before you kind of uh, re- reveal the the cracks that are there in his game, <clears throat> um, things that we don't love here at the deep two are six foot nine forwards that are barely shooting forty percent from the field. <laughs> um, that's not something that we're particularly into. And before you've, you've you already ask, got Dario Saric, don't ask me what number it starts with. Just <laughs> don't. Well, I've got a question for you. Are you ready for it? I'm ready. Would you do? Jay Crowder for Corey Kispert. 
Mm, I'd have to think. Two more years on his rookie contract. I'd have to think about that. After this one? Yeah, I think. Saving $7. million, because obviously you are also thinking about the tax savings here. Me, as a Suns fan, I am <laughs> thinking about the tax savings here. Whatever I can do to ease Robert Sarver's bill on his way out the door, I'm willing to do it. I think that that actually is more appealing, because I think whilst it's a question whether Kispert has more long-term upside than either Rui or Denny... Um, he can hit three. He's straight. got a more defined role, yeah, and and, and he's kind of better at uh, at something that we need. And you know, we talked about a few weeks ago about what a, a Struce trade with Miami might look yeah, like. Yeah, it's very similar, isn't it? And you know, whilst neither of them address what I think is the most pressing need, which is to bring in another four-sized player, they both kind of bring an elite skill set that's gonna just fit in fit in with this offense and they're going to see game time and you know they're going to hit mm. what they're going to hit um, so I think I probably would lean Kispert over either of these guys I mean for me like you know of the teams that have been heavily linked I think a deal with the Bucks which is the hardest to get done but you know something involving Bobby Portis would be really really appealing for me because I yep. think that's the exact kind of player that we need and in theory Rui could potentially do something similar but he's actually just not as good a scorer as Bobby is and he's really not as good a defender as Bobby is not that Bobby is a lead but you know Bobby yeah. is like uh, the he played on a title team the full role player that, that, yeah. that, that, that we want but yeah to answer your question I think I would probably look at Kispert over either of these guys despite yeah. not addressing the positional need that we have but also just to look at it like hey Jake Rout is not playing basketball right now imagine just adding another wing size yeah another wing size guy who can shoot it, I mean, it can't know. hurt. And also the fact that you don't have to muck around with the third team, pay them a second round pick to do X, Y, and Z. It's, it's very clean. And not for nothing, the salary bill. Um, do the Wizards do that? Would they do Jay for um, Corey Kispert? I should probably check if it works financially. But I mean, <laughs> I mean, like Jay, Jay's contract is almost certainly bigger than Kispert's contract, um, which would rely on the Wizards having room to take in. Which the I Wizards, don't know if you know, but Bill's getting paid $50 million this year. The Wizards need to cut $5 million on top of that to make the money work, which... Is about a Rui or Denny sized human. So okay, that's that's probably not on the cards. Um, man, it's just hard to train. You really need a big, strong shooting forward like Jay Crowder on your team. We do. Don't. We? Just, how do you get one? Jeez, uh, if I knew, we wouldn't be here. <laughs> Uh, all right, uh, you want to move on or any final comments there? No, nah, let's move on to everyone's favourite alleged greatest shooting big man of all time yeah so Dirk Nowitzki is actually out four or six <laughs> weeks huh? <laughs> <laughs> something crazy just to like just to do a little callback uh, to the start of the episode where we talked about Luca legend El Nino Maravilla he and and this is courtesy of uh, a great article in The Athletic by Tim Cato he has as many 40 point games career as Dirk yeah, well, that's cool. And he's played 4.25 NBA seasons. <laughs> um, Carl Anthony Towns <laughs> is out four to six weeks after a non-contact calf injury. Um, I don't know if you saw the video, but no one I've actually no one actually did because it was right at the edge and he just sort of tripped over himself as the... No, but you see him go down though, him and there's down. no one in the vicinity. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Um, so no structural damage, but obviously with an injury like something that we've seen slash inverted commas seen. Um, 
Yeah, you, you really have to be careful here. Um, this report coming from Shams Trania and John Krasinski of The Athletic, you really have to be careful that this is like this could lead to something major. So this four to six weeks is four to six weeks. Um, did the Wolves win their game today? They were playing with, like, it's just it's just a worse version of the Utah Jazz when they play games today. Yeah. They beat the Grizzlies by eight points. I, started, yeah. I watched the start of that but didn't finish it. Um, yeah, I mean... They can't play worse than they can at the moment, but you'd really like to see the two bigs try and fit and work together. Well, in a, in a perverse way, it's probably it's almost better for their offense because they can play a simplified brand of basketball and really kind of look for that very yeah, slow mo. Slow mo's been the guy who's getting the call up at the four there. But in in the long term, it's 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 terrible for their offensive chemistry because they obviously need reps. But I mean, I think the the overwhelming sentiment here has to be: if you're the Wolves, you're just grateful that it's not an Achilles yeah. because if 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 a guy is running and falls over <laughs> and is clutching his ankle that's an Achilles tendon yeah. and if a guy who's 7 foot tall and weighs 260 pounds tears your Achilles like there's there's it's probably a, a coin flip as to whether he ever makes another all-star game yeah yeah, you know, yeah. an Achilles injury would be absolutely devastating and Kat is not the sort of player who could rebound easily from that so the fact that it's you know that it's a calf injury famously the calf does go for quite a long time and you know a former golden state warrior had a calf injury that uh he came back from in the nba finals that turned into an achilles tear um andrew Bogut. yeah you fucking nailed it you fucking nailed it um so definitely something to like you're taking the four to six weeks and probably two weeks after that as well just to mm. make absolutely sure but for the for the wolves in the short term like you know they'll they'll miss their best player um but maybe gives them an opportunity to kind of like coax gobert into taking more than two shots a game which has sometimes been a bit difficult um, yeah, that's everything for this week. Dante, I will speak to you next week. I'll speak to you next week. Peace. We were over the moon when we first heard that the NBA was going to be televised on Australian free-to-air TV in the 2019-20 season. It didn't exactly go swimmingly with the nasty cough halting the season and games getting cancelled left, right and centre, but it was a huge step and an exciting one for basketball fans all across the country. Better yet, it wasn't a commercial channel cashing in on some basketball nerds like us. It was SBS, one of our public broadcasters. Unfortunately, the NBA wasn't the only thing SBS was pushing last season. They also ran advertisements from Sportsbet, Ladbroke, Bet365, BetEasy, and Neds, some of the biggest sports betting companies in Australia. In a one-step-forwards, two-steps-backwards move, SBS has dropped the ball here. As a public broadcaster, SBS plays a key role in providing relevant, culturally appropriate health information to local communities. The last thing SBS should be doing is offering a platform for gambling companies during the most financially unstable time in recent memory. This past year, men aged 18 to 24 made up 79% of new gambling account holders with increased median spending and frequency of bets. This is the last thing we should be spending our money on given the financial uncertainty that comes with the pandemic. During COVID lockdowns, wagering companies spent more money on advertising and incentives to gamble, and it worked. SBS needs to hear from viewers that gambling ad revenue isn't worth the harm it causes. Call on the SBS chair, George Savitas, to put community health ahead of gambling revenue by signing the petition at www.endgamblingads.org.au forward slash get gambling off SBS with hyphens in between.